Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 165 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, it's always fun to set records, and uh, we set a new one today, which is Mark Patterson, I think, is now the all-time most interviewed guest on the podcast to date. So we talk about his recent marathon, and also... um, I think you're going to love this because I know one of the questions I get all the time in two decades of ministry is like, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I hear from God? And, you know, we all kind of have our answers, but like this is the most thorough answer I've ever heard. And Mark's got a brand new book called Whisper, and he walks through like seven ways to hear from God. So I think this is going to be great personally. For those of you who are leaders who maybe are like, yeah, I'm not not 100% sure that I do hear from God as much as I should. Uh, it's going to be illuminating. And then um, in terms of just answers that you can share with your congregation and the people that you serve, super, super helpful. So I'm really excited to have Mark back today. And uh, hey, I also want to celebrate another little milestone. Do you know we finally hit 500 reviews on the uh, on iTunes? So thank you. I think we're at 509 as of the date recording this. And I just want to thank you for your feedback. We read every single review on all the platforms. And, um, you know, when you leave a review and also when you subscribe and share, uh, that is a way of getting this podcast in front of other leaders. So if it helped you, uh, you can head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, leave a review. And then if this episode or this podcast helps you, just share it with your friends, put it on your social media feed, uh, email the episode to a few friends, you'll see a little share button. And, uh, it's easy to do using iTunes or, or whatever platform you use. Um, by the way, people ask me all the time, you know, what, what do you listen to? Sometimes I listen to podcasts on iTunes, but my favorite app is Overcast. So I love that. That's where I listen to almost all my podcasts. So all of those apps have little share buttons. And so if you could do that, that would be great. Also, have you registered yet for the Pipeline West conference? It's all about developing a leadership pipeline for your church. And I talk to a lot of leaders, you know, they all tell me, they tell me, yeah, we don't have enough leaders. We don't have enough leaders. Well, come to California, February 22nd. It's usually nice in California in February, by the way. And we'd love to host you for Pipeline West. And what you can do is just go to myleadershippipeline.com and then use the promo code lead like never before. That will get you 10% off a ticket. And that is only for listeners of this podcast. So if you're bringing a team out there, that's significant savings. Pipeline West, make sure you don't miss it. MyLeadershipPipeline.com and use the promo code lead like never before. Well, one other thing I want to let you know about is some of you are really probably trying to figure out how to do staffing. Maybe you're thinking about 2018 already. And I think as you know, if you're a regular listener, Um, This podcast has grown a lot. We're at like 4.6, almost 4.7 million downloads. And that means a lot of mail and a lot of coordination. And one of the ways I've grown my team, like a year ago, I was a halftime assistant. And now we have three team members. And uh, I have gone to Belay Solutions again and again for help. Uh, A couple of my team members are actually Belay Solutions team members. And I've been totally impressed by their ability 
to find people almost on a dime and great people. And if you're looking for just five hours a week of help or 10 hours, or I have, you know, most of my staff are part-time, so they're 15 to 20 hours a week, uh, they've got that. And it isn't going to break your budget. And it, it gets you to the point where, you know, you're trying to figure out, okay, I got to interview 40 people. They do all that stuff for you and they present you with a couple of finalists very, very quickly. And uh, man, one day I'm going to talk to them about their interview selection process because it's just killer. So anyway, if you need any kind of help in your organization, whether that's virtual, actually Holly Beth, who manages this podcast, she's from Belay Solutions as well. They've got a special page set up just for podcast listeners. If you go to Belay Solutions, B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, belaysolutions.com slash carry. Uh, we got some fun stuff for you there. And I would love for you to go over there, check it out, and it could solve your staffing or help issue for 2018. And actually, you don't have to wait. You can get started today. So with all that said, I am super excited about bringing you my conversation with Mark Batterson. Here we go. Mark, welcome back. I think you now are the official, not only marathon completer, but like record holder for um, most interviews on my podcast. This is number four, and I couldn't be more happy. Harry, I, I don't hold many records, but that one that that's one that I'm proud of. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back. And uh, I mean, it started in the first season. And we'll link to all this in the show notes. But I think it was around maybe episode 33, 34, where we talked about how you write. And for any writers, you got to look at that. I know you've given that interview out because you said at the time you never get asked about that. Yeah. And, and that was such a wonderful conversation. And so, you know, I have people who want to write a book um, kind of knock on my door all the time. And honestly, Carrie, I, you know, I try to return the favor that was given to me as a first time author. I had some people who went out of their way right. to answer questions, to help me find an agent. And so I really try to do that. But before I do that, I honestly send them to that podcast. And I said, <laughs> hey, just eavesdrop for an hour as Carrie and I talk about writing and that'll be a good starting point. And then maybe we'll follow up and have a conversation. It's been challenging for me and really, really life affirming. I'm just looking for the episode number, uh, which I will find, Mark. I used to have them all memorized, you know, and that at episode 100, my my brain just kind of melted down. But we'll link to it in the show notes. I think it's in the 30s, isn't it? I don't. Yeah, yeah. You remember that. No, you don't remember that. I don't. Remember. Oh, here it is. Number 32. I was one digit off, I think. All right. So episode 32 of this podcast. And uh, we also talk, we talk about um, writing and balancing the whole pastor author thing. But you take us into your methodology. And there you are in your office again with 3,500 books behind you. Yeah, thereabouts. 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 Yep. So where I want to start today, we're going to talk about how to find, uh, how to hear the voice of God, which is also, I guess, the flip side of, how do you determine God's will for your life, which is just a huge thing. How do you hear from God? How do you hear messages from God? But um, man, you just finished with something that is pretty powerful, uh, a long, long, long awaited answer to prayer that literally has spanned most of your life. And uh, you talked. we talked about this the last time you were here in the fall, and I think even when the Eugene Peterson episode this summer, where I had you and Adam Weber on, that God healed your asthma. 
And yeah. uh, you, you've still got the swag on today. You've got Chicago Marathon. You are now a marathon finisher. You ran a marathon that was literally impossible for you to do prior to July 2016. So take us into that story and how God answered a long-standing prayer in your life. Yeah. Uh, July 2nd, 2016, I'm preaching a sermon. We're beginning a series called Mountains Move. And, you know, my opening thought is that there, there's a moment where you've got to stop talking to God about your mountain and start talking to your mountain about God. <laughs> Declare who he is, his character, his goodness, his power, his grace. And so I felt a stirring that weekend, Carrie, and you know this feeling as a preacher. And it was this, to challenge our church to pray the bravest prayer. Hmm. And there's actually a chapter uh, in Whisper, the book, that we're going to talk a little bit about uh, by that title, and I share the full story. But uh, the bravest prayer to me is a prayer that you've prayed a hundred times that God hasn't answered. Are you willing to pray it again? And so, long story short, my earliest memory is an asthma attack. About three, four years old, I wake up in the middle of the night. My parents take me to the emergency room. I get a shot of epinephrine, and that routine is repeated night after night after night. Doctor diagnoses me with asthma. And for the next 40 years, Carrie, uh, I never did anything without an inhaler. It was in my sock when I played basketball. It was under my pillow when I slept at night. I never went anywhere without it. And there are 40 days in 40 years that I didn't take a puff of an inhaler. Wow. Uh, as of this recording, that was 473 days ago. And I have not taken an inhaler since. I prayed a brave prayer. God answered it. And so what I decided to do was to celebrate that healing miracle. I thought, I'm going to do something I never thought I could do. I'm going to run a marathon. And so, uh, of course, ran the Chicago Marathon. It's now in the rearview mirror, a goal accomplished. And, uh, and just uh, an unbelievable testament to God's power and his voice. I, I feel like God literally breathed into my lungs and uh, I'm a different person than I was uh, 474 days ago. Was that instantaneous or did you just wake up the next day and go, gosh, I didn't use my puffer? I, I love that question because uh, a week went by and I thought, wow, I never go a week without taking my inhaler. Like, yeah. Lord, did you do something? Did you? And then I went two weeks and I'll tell you what happened. We got to week six and I was scheduled to preach, but I wasn't ready to kind of go public with it, Carrie. Sure. Yeah. And so we extended the series one more week. And, uh, <laughs> and that's when I, that's when I, day 50, I said, listen, I think God healed me. And I, I went through all the steps. I went to the uh, pulmonary specialist. I, I did the lung test. I kind of went through the whole nine yards just to validate that something was different. And uh, the capstone to me was just running the marathon as a way of saying, um, look at what God has done. And so it was a process. You know, I, I think, uh, well, Oswald Chambers said, let God be as original with others as he was with you. Hmm. Carrie, I quote that all the time because, yeah. listen, how God healed me, it might look different for you. But I will tell you this. I believe it starts by praying the bravest prayer. And yep. so I, I hope people who are listening right now that just something leaps in their spirit, that there's some kind of convict because there's something, there's some brave prayer. 
that you've given up on and you need the courage to to maybe pray that prayer again and believe God for something that's impossible. There's one I'm praying every day. You know, there's a couple I pray every day and it's like, why hasn't this happened yet, God? Because I know it's in his will. Like, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, I want a new house or whatever. That's not my prayer. You know, because then you're like, is that in God's will? Is it not? But there's some that are really close to his heart about people, you know, and I know he wants them to come to him, but it hasn't Mm. happened yet. Why, Why do you think it was such a long time for that prayer to be heard and answered? Well, heard, heard long time ago, but answered in the way that we would define an answer. Well, uh, the first thing I would say is I, I think that's past my pay grade. I, I think there's some things that the timing makes no sense. But I, I can tell you this. It, it, I always considered it my thorn in the flesh because yeah. I, I played basketball in college. God gave me athletic ability, just didn't give me the lung capacity. And so it didn't make sense to me. But I, I will tell you that there are lessons I've learned and there's probably a work ethic because I had to work a little harder at some things. And, and I tell you what, when you spent three months of your life in the intensive care unit, barely able to breathe, yeah, it does something to you. So I, I in some ways, I wouldn't trade uh, some of those difficulties because I think it helped make me who I am. But he, here's, here's my hunch, Carrie. You know, I, I wrote this book, Draw the Circle, uh, the 40-Day Prayer Challenge. You know, my fear was that people would read that book and then give God a 40-day timeline. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Uh, and so I think it, it's what I like sharing is, listen, this is not about giving God a 40-day timeline. This is about 40 years later. Are you still praying? Mm. Are you still believing? I, I kind of have this little, uh, this revelation where I, I realized couple of years ago, that all of my prayers were ASAP prayers as soon as possible. (laughs) And and I came up with this different acronym, ALAT, as long as it takes. Mm. Um, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep believing. And so that's kind of my approach to life. I I think um, maybe the Lord wanted to use my asthma, something I could never even imagine. When it's your earliest memory, Carrie, you imagine anything else. And so I think Maybe the Lord did it in a way that, Mark, I'm going to let you go through this for 40 years, but I'm going to do it to prove something to people that you keep praying those brave prayers and and don't give up and uh, see what God does. Did the medical people, like you went for a pulmonary function test and everything, and I'm I'm also an asthma sufferer, and uh, I think you and I have shared this before when we met, like... For me, it was actually removing the carpets from my house. And that was a design decision, not a health decision. But it was just time for the carpets to go and and hardwood to come in. And all of a sudden, you know, I hadn't used my puffer in a month. And I'm like, really? And the only time I feel it now is if I get very sick or if there's a drastic change in atmospheric pressure or something like that. But like I'll go months without touching a puffer, which is amazing. Wow. Um, So I'm very, very thankful for that. And again, Oswald um, Chambers, you know, let God be as original with you as, or, you know, with others as he was with you. But did the medical profession, what was their reaction to that? Well, you know, I didn't go into depth with them about, uh, I wanted just the actual numbers, the test numbers. I wanted to see what they said. And uh, if you compared my test numbers from, uh, 
10, 20 years ago when I had a, a fraction of the lung capacity, the ability to kind of move oxygen um, to what it was just a couple of months later. Now, here's the thing, Carrie. I, I think, listen, you've got to control your environment. Um, you've got to diet and exercise. These things affect Oh yeah, you feel on every level. Like if you took up but, chain smoking, that may become an issue, right? You never know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but the the reality is, it was just. Uh, I think in this instance, it was it was one of those things where God just sovereignly. Um, in fact, it's the, it's the little one word um, uh, in Aramaic, um, epitha, or, or I can't yeah. even I can't you know be open. I feel like that's what God did. Like he, he can open ears, he can open lungs, he can open eyes, he can open people's hearts. And, and I feel like God just said, be opened. And, uh, and then I began the hard work too of, listen, before running the marathon, it's not about the 26.2 miles. It's about the 435 miles I ran over 18 weeks. Exactly. Um, yeah. you, you know, it's about doing the, the, the hard work, the training, that then pays off. And so in that race, I, I had cramps in my legs for about 10 miles, Carrie, and I had to stop and stretch, but I never lost my breath once. It wasn't my lungs holding me Incredible. back. And that's just, that's so counter to my life story for 40 years. Um, so um I'm grateful. Thanks for updating us on that. I I just think it's incredible, Mark. And I know last year when we connected in the fall podcast, you were saying, wow, I think you were on like day 60 at the time. And it's incredible. So you got a brand new book out called Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God. And uh, I I think it's a great read. Um, It is a question in two decades of ministry I get asked all the time. Like, how do I know? How do I hear from God? I hear this God is alive. How do I hear from him? And of course, you know, being a Protestant, I'll be like, well, read your Bible. But of course, the Bible doesn't answer what job should you take next. It doesn't answer who you should marry. You know, there's no Carrie chapter eight, verse two. It's like, oh, her name's Tony and she'll be in law school and you'll like her and you should do it. It's going to last a while. You know, there's none of that. And uh, you've done a, a really thoughtful, scholarly, and research job in discerning um, how people hear from God, both historically and today. And I think it's the kind of book, what I told you about this before we started, one of the things I'm excited about is I know this will be a book that I hand to a lot of people when they're like, so how do I hear the voice of God? It's like, here's a better answer than the one I'm going to give you or the one that I can cover in 40 minutes. But I may do a series on this. It's really good. Let's start by talking about what you refer to um, in the book as the tomatis effect. What is that and why is it so important? Yeah, I've never heard of it uh, prior yeah, to that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty amazing thing. So uh, half a century ago, there was a uh, otolaryngologist by the name of Dr. Alfred Tomatis. And he, uh, an opera singer came to him, Carrie, because he had lost his ability to hit certain notes that were within his octave range. Hmm. And so it was kind of a mystery. And, you know, most of the other specialists he had gone to see thought it was a vocal problem, but Dr. Tomatis had a hunch that it was something else. And so he, he set up a sonometer, discovered that the average opera singer can hit about 140 decibel sound waves at a meter's distance. 
that's louder than a military jet taking off from an aircraft carrier. And the sound is even louder inside one's skull. And so the diagnosis was this, the opera singer had been deafened by the sound of his own voice. <laughs> there you go. And Carrie, if you can't hear a note, you can't sing it. So Dr. Tomata said, the voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. Now the French Academy of Medicine dubbed it the Tomatis effect. And uh, you can guess where this is going. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we think that we have emotional problems, relational problems, spiritual problems. Carrie, we have hearing problems. Mm. It's, we've been deafened to the voice of God by our own self-talk that God can't even get a word in edgewise or, or the voice of the critical voices that, that hit our eardrums or the voice of condemnation from the enemy. And so really, you know, I, I start the book just talking about, come on, his voice is love. His voice is joy. His voice yeah. is healing. His voice is power. You know, his voice is the solution to a thousand other problems. And, uh, and, and so um, you know, it's this idea that is God the loudest voice in our lives? And, and we've got to make sure that we aren't being deafened by some of those other voices. So that's the Tomatis effect in a nutshell. It's interesting. You talk about Helen Keller in the book and uh, some other people who lost the ability to hear. And you make a connection I, I hadn't thought about before, which is that most speech problems are actually hearing problems. Yeah. That you can't you can't reproduce, and the idea is if you never heard sound, how are you going to make it, and yes. how are you going to reproduce it? And first of all, I hadn't thought about that, but really, like being tuned to the voice of God, I think a lot of us probably play on one channel, right? Like if you want to look at it that way, it's like you know, for me, it would be scripture, which is one of the the seven keys uh, that you talk about. But for other people, it might be dreams. For other people, so you you. Um, you say one of the reasons we don't hear from God is that God speaks the loudest when we're the quietest, which is a really powerful thought. God speaks the loudest when we're the quietest. Uh, we're not very quiet. How can leaders get quiet? Yeah, well, it's uh, fascinating to me that an audio ecologist by the name of Gordon Hempton, he compiled this list, Carrie, called the list of the last great quiet places. Yeah. And these were places... Uh, on the the North American continent that have at least 15 minutes of uninterrupted quiet uh, during daylight hours. At last count, there are only 12 quiet places in the entire United States. Man. Isn't that astounding? That's crazy. Like, I mean, you think about the Great Plains or you think about the Rocky Mountains and even yeah. they are subject to noise pollution. Yep. And so, so Hempton follows that up and says, quiet is the think tank of the soul. And so, you know, it's Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And so my hunch is um, if listeners are anything like me, your life is too loud and your schedule's mm. too busy. And and it's because of this white noise. And, and social media is a great example. Yeah. I mean, we it, fe it feels like it fills all of the empty space in our lives. And, and there's no time to even daydream anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think uh, the importance is just intentional quietness. Uh, John Donne said, I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> well, listen, may, maybe it was a fly that uh, distracted John Dunn a couple hundred years ago, but we have a, uh, a little bit more difficulty today because truth is we probably have earbuds uh, in our ears all the time anyway. So. Well, and if you're listening to this podcast, that's exactly what you're doing. <laughs> so, you, you know, just uh, I share some ways, you know, that you can um, find the stillness, find the calmness, find the quietness. Um, but really, I think, Carrie, it's about being intentional. And so, you know, I talk about the you know, the seven word prayer that uh, Samuel prayed, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. Yeah, it starts there. It starts there. And then be quiet. Stop talking and listen and just see if um, if God doesn't speak somehow, some way in that quietness. So, Mark, I mean, you're in D.C. Um, Sirens, traffic, city of millions of people, a mile off Capitol Hill. How do you find quiet? Well, uh, there's a couple of places that I go. I live by this little formula, change of pace plus change of place mm-hmm. equals change of perspective. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes for me, it's getting into, uh, there's a lake that we escape to about 90 minutes from D.C., and it's a little bit of a safe haven. It's kind of where we go to... Uh, only hear the sounds of nature, which is rare mm. for us living on Capitol Hill. But I, I would also say, Carrie, that, you know, those 435 miles that I ran in training. Yeah. Do you know, I, I rarely listen to music. Mm. Um, strangest thing, I started training and I realized that I almost needed uh, those hours and those miles just to kind of clear the cobwebs and and it's amazing. I would get different thoughts or have different impressions. Um, probably uh, a few of my sermons came on a few of those long runs. Yeah. Because I wasn't distracting myself, um, I was actually, I think, in that process, able to maybe hear that still small voice a little bit. Well, and I think quiet, you argue, is really important because God speaks in a whisper, hence the title of the book, Whisper, right? Yeah. Um, why does he do that? Why do you think God speaks? Why does he whisper? Well, I don't think it's original to me, but I have a little theory that, uh, you know, when you speak in a whisper, the person that you're speaking to has to come very close to you. (laughs) In fact, they have to put their ear right next to your mouth. Now, I don't know if you did this uh, with your kids. I did it with mine where sometimes I'd, I'd speak in a whisper until they get real close and then I'd reach out and grab them and hug them. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I played a trick on them and I think God does the same thing. I, I think we think the goal of hearing the voice of God is hearing the voice of God. I, I think for God, it's intimacy. Mm. And so he speaks in a whisper so that we have to get very close. Yeah. And and it's that closeness that really is ultimately the objective. And so, um, you know, I, I talk about it in the book. God has an outside voice, no doubt, and he can use it. But when when God really wants us to hear something, Carrie, he doesn't intimidate us with his outside voice. I think he woos us with a whisper. Hmm. That's so often we just go about our day 
blind to or deaf to. Um, so Mark, let's dig into the seven ways you argue we hear from God. And again, this isn't, I, I think it's a really helpful compilation. I, I actually haven't seen anything like it, which is why I'm so excited about it. Um, one is scripture and we'll start there, but the other just, and then we're going to drill down into each of them. If I've got it right, desires, doors, dreams, people, promptings, and pain. Correct? Got it. You got it. Those are the seven. So how'd you come up with those categories? Well, let me say up front that uh, it's not an exhaustive list. In fact, (laughs) it almost feels like a sin of omission to not have nature as one of the languages God speaks in, right? Because, you know, Psalm 19, uh, the heavens declare the the glory of God. And so, you know, I don't pretend, and and I make this admission up front, these are not all of the different ways that God speaks, but these are these are certainly uh, seven ways that um, that he speaks in Scripture, and and so it's a good starting point. And, so you're uh, not saying they're the only seven; they're just seven, you know, yeah. yep. historic ways. Yeah, and, and let me be clear about one thing: Scripture is the first language. Yeah, and I talk about how it's the Rosetta Stone. It's it's what the other languages get filtered through. And we'll chat about that. But uh, the other six languages are secondary languages. Right. And I think that's important to note because um, I have as high a view of scripture as anybody you'll find. And and so there are some who would say, well, God only speaks through scripture. But listen, uh, when I read scripture, I see God speaking through desires, doors, dreams, people, promptings, and pain. And I think God is the same yesterday, uh, today, and forever. And so I think he continues to speak in those ways. And so I think some people who are well-meaning, I want to be careful here, um, who really hold a high view of scripture uh, and say God only speaks through scripture, really what they're doing is handcuffing the God of scripture who speaks in those ways in scripture. And so um, I know that that's tricky territory for a lot of people, depending on theological persuasion. But I just felt like, Carrie, I've got to venture into this territory because we're not doing anybody any favors if if we don't um, talk about these kinds of things that can um, have a little bit of theological controversy to them. Yeah, and so let's start with Scripture. So it's a huge subject, and I mean, I think almost all of the leaders listening, you know, who would consider themselves Christians would say, yeah, there are areas where the Bible's very clear. Like, for example, love your enemy, or um, please don't have sex with someone you're not married to. I mean, that those are pretty black and white issues. But then you get into like, well, who is my enemy? Or what is love? Or even more specifically, um, you know, what job do I take or who do I marry or gosh, is it this church or that church? I've got two opportunities on the table. I think we've all been to the place, if you've ever read the Bible, where we've tried to find something in the Bible and it's like, I I don't know what to do. And and that's where it seems to break down. And again, I hold an extremely high view of scripture. I read it, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say every single day of my life, uh, I believe it is the word of God, but yet, you know, how do you navigate that when you say, well, Scripture is a way that God speaks to us, to me, to you? Yeah. Well, let me start by saying this, because um, Scripture says uh, of itself that it is God-breathed. And mm. uh, for the record, a whisper, if you look it up in the dictionary, 
is speaking with one's breath instead of vocal cords. Hmm. Think about the theological implications of that, Carrie. Adam was once a whisper. Yeah. God breathed into the dust. And so, you know, part hmm. of the book is talking about how everything was once a whisper. But that tells me if Scripture is God breathed, it's God's whisper. It's God whispering to us. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's such a beautiful picture. Um, now, that said, uh, it's the Holy Spirit who inspired Holy Scripture. Hmm. And so I, I think he's on the front end of the equation, inspiring the writers. But the beautiful thing is he's on the back end, inspiring readers. And so, you know, in a sense, we can't even understand this thing without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, my my view is um, Scripture is in a category by itself, but Let's not fall into the trap of um, bibliolatry, which sees the Bible just as an end in itself. No, this is about uh, getting to know the God of the Bible, having an intimate relationship with him and uh, and then learning to hear his voice. And so in a sense, you could say that the Bible is the map and the Holy Spirit is the guide Mm. and and. The guide maybe is going to help you go off trail a little bit with some of those when, where, and how questions that, uh, you, you know, do I move to Canada or move to D.C., right? Yeah. Um, you got to pray about it. And, and then the Holy Spirit as a way of leading us, um, sometimes through Scripture and sometimes uh, in other ways. No, and I've had experiences like that. I mean, some of the ancients called a divine reading where... You know, you just know. But let me let me let me just ask you because I mean, we've both been in ministry long enough to have had this question become more than a theory, where you get the guy who just or the woman who comes up with just crazy theories based on, well, Mark, I read in you know Colossians chapter three, or you know, isn't it an eye for an eye? Well, that's even a bad example because that's fairly clear: an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus reinterprets it, but you know, where they see something and it's like, no human being could possibly, <laughs> you know, who's sane, get that interpretation out of that voice or yeah. out of that verse. What, what, do you, yeah. what do you do in a situation like that? Or how do you well, make sure you're not that guy? Yeah, that's, that's where, you know, that takes us back to seminary in a class in hermeneutics, right? The yeah. science of interpreting scripture where, you know, the basic rule is uh, let, let scripture interpret scripture. And you know, um, text without context is pretext and all of those mm. kind of rules of thumb that, um, you know, I, I understand that, that there are probably a, a vast array of theologies represented in those who are listening to this podcast. And so sometimes you have to agree to disagree. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I think that, well, God's not going to contradict himself. He's right. not going to go against the, the good, pleasing, perfect will of God as revealed in Scripture. And yes, there, there may be those who come up with a, uh, an, an aberrant uh, interpretation that, uh, you know, I, I call it uh, uh, hermeneutical gymnastics, where somehow yeah. they manage co- to contort the word in a way that uh, is just so off. Um, and those are tricky, Carrie. I think that's where you got to have that loving conversation, full of grace, full of truth, yeah. and uh, and hopefully uh, 
do some good exegesis and and uh, help that person understand really what what the Bible's saying. Well, you're right, and it is hermeneutics 101. That number one position is hermeneutic. You know, we often take things out of context, or what Calvin said that let the scripture which is clear interpret that which is unclear, because there are times where it's a little unclear. We'll let the clear uh, interpret the clear. So I I think that's good advice, and that's probably the most well-worn path of, of the seven ways that God communicates with us and the one that people would be most familiar with. Yeah. And, and, you know, I call it the key of keys, and I think yeah. uh, readers will love that little story. Um, it's a great one. Tell it. Tell it in a nutshell, the story about the stone in Washington. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's uh, uh, April 14, 1755. General Braddock sails up the Potomac River, uh, banks of the river. He docks the ship and, and anchors to this rock. And... Uh, if you look on old maps of D.C., there's almost like this cryptic um, uh, piece that says um, key of all keys. And it's actually Braddock's Rock. And uh, no one no one in D.C. even knows it's there, Carrie. There's like a little <laughs> well off of Constitution Avenue. Right. And 16 feet below it is Braddock's Rock. But the significance of it is that that's where the entire coordinate system of the capital is measured from. So every principal meridian, every baseline is measured from Braddock's Rock, which is the key of keys. And I kind of use that as uh, a little bit of a metaphor for scripture, Uh, even get into a little bit of epistemology, um, because I want to make sure that that readers um, are anchoring themselves to scripture. Uh, At the end of the day, that is the, the foundation for our faith, and that's how we measure life. Which serves as a filter for all the other ways that God speaks to us with his voice, yes. right? So let's go there. Let's go to the second language, which you say is desire. Um, have desires had a bad rap in the church? I, I think so. I, don't, I, th- I think we don't give them the credit they deserve, it, at least if you take Psalm 37, 4 seriously— Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, mm. you know, you and I both know that that doesn't mean uh, if you desire a new car, you go on down to the uh, car dealership and get it. No, the 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 word "give" means to almost upload, and so it's like God uploading uh, a new desire uh, in your heart. Yeah. So. And by the way, you can tell I'm in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill with sirens going by, can't you? Absolutely. We just heard it. (laughs) (laughs) That is not happening in rural Ontario where I am. Yes. Welcome to my world. Um, So, you know, I think God speaks through desires. And if if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, Carrie, if you're living um, by faith, if you're in a place of obedience, then those desires actually can become a compass that help lead you and guide you and direct you. And uh, now I know that that, that's dangerous because there are people that have some, uh, shall we say, sinful desires that are not from the Lord. And uh, and those can be tough to decipher between uh, what's what's right and what's wrong. But, you know, we've got to go there. We've got to figure that out. We've got to talk about that because that doesn't change the fact that God speaks through desire. So let me give you a couple of examples. This podcast was born out of a desire. As regular listeners would know, 
I was having conversations like this one with people in green rooms and just through people I, I knew. And I would always leave those going, oh, I wish our elders could have heard this or staff could have heard it or everyone could have heard it or all my friends could have heard it. And I thought, well, why don't we just do a podcast where that happens? So that may potentially be an example of a good desire. Um, yeah. Or I hope it's helped a lot of leaders over time and I enjoy doing it and I love these conversations. So would that be an example of a like of what you're talking about there? Absolutely. I think when God calls you to something, we almost have this uh, masochistic kind of view of who God is, that he's going to send you somewhere you don't want to go <laughs> to do what you don't want to do and you're not good at, and you're <laughs> going to hate it. Like, come on. No, no. When God calls you to something, I, I think often as you're in the center of God's will and you need that desire, like, you know, without the desire to write, I mean, I wouldn't have written the first book. Um, yeah, I was going to say that that's you know, in many ways your story. You had as a young leader, this desire to write that you thought was probably God given and yeah. away you go. So how do you, how do you make sure that, you know, what filter would you put on your desires? Because I agree, not all my desires are good. Yeah. Well, let me say, first of all, that C.S. Lewis himself said that um, God finds our desires um, not not too too strong, but too weak. Hmm. Um, and so I think the idea, but we've got to make sure they're pointed in the right direction. Uh, now, I, I love this idea that uh, Frederick, Frederick Beekner talked about listening to the voice of gladness. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the equation. It's, it's becoming so fine tuned to that, that still small voice carry that um, when God wants us to do something, I believe that one of the ways he speaks is he gives us the desire. Mm -hmm. And now I, I don't want to over spiritualize this. In fact, um, I'll take a little risk and share this. Uh, sometimes when I'm talking with church planners and they can't figure out where to go and plant a church, one of the questions I ask them is, well, where would you most want to live? <laughs> you know, do, do you like lakes? Because Minnesota has a lot of them. Right. Um, like mountains, because there's this place called Colorado. Where would you want to raise a family? Where would you want to live? Carrie, I would not want to be anyplace else doing anything else with anyone else. I love Washington, D.C. Yeah. Uh, and I think that desire is is God given. He gave me the desire to be where I am. And so discerning that and uh, and then you've got to couple it with uh, that language of people that I talk about later in mm. the book. Um, you need some wise voices that can yeah. speak into your life and, uh, and sometimes call you on the carpet and say, listen, I don't know what you're feeling, but that's not right. Um, and so all of these get kind of counterbalanced with one another, if you will. Well, and even with a house in the car, you know, that kind of thing that you were talking about, there's nothing wrong with having a house or nothing wrong with even driving a car or a nice car. But that's where, you know, my desires would always probably naturally lead me to more and more and more. And I think you're right. That's where all of these temper each other, where you got to look at scripture and teachings on generosity and greed. And then you yeah. got to have a couple of people around you who will look you dead in the eye and go, Carrie, you're being an idiot, right? Or I love you, man, but that's, that's not good or it's too much. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, that's good. So that's desires. And I think that that one that surprises people from time to time. So let's go to the next one. You say doors are a third way of hearing God's voice. And yeah. um, tell us more. 
I mean, every time a door is open, you should walk through it, or every time it's closed, that means God isn't in it? Like, what about banging down a door? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. One of the most prayed promises uh, for me is from Revelation 3. Um, uh, you know, what he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Mm. See, I've placed before you an open door. Now, I've learned, Carrie, that that's a package deal. You can't pray for open doors and then not uh, accept closed doors. In fact, I think at the end of our lives, we'll thank God as much for the closed doors as the open doors. And so um, it, it is a package deal, but I have no doubt. Listen, God God orders our footsteps. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways he does it is occasionally a door will close or a door will open it. And uh, the, the way I like to think about it is that that old uh, TV program, uh, Get Smart, where at the very beginning, uh, Maxwell Smart, Agent 86, walks through all of these different doors, um, you know, jail cell doors and uh, accordion doors of a, of a phone booth. And one door leads to another, ends up in control headquarters. That, that's how life is to me. Like one door leads to another door, which leads to another door. And at the end of the day, all of that is a little past my pay grade. I don't know (laughs) know where God's taken me, but I I do know that he is the God who opens and closes doors. And it's one of the languages that we have to learn. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves uh, running into, uh, shall we say, some very clean glass sliding doors, which, uh, for the record, I have done before. I have walked <laughs> I've done that too. Back into, I ran into a screen door once. Okay. Yeah. Well, I feel, I feel better than we're both in the same camp <laughs> and, uh, you know, all of us have done that, but we're going to be doing that a lot if we don't learn to discern kind of those open and closed doors. So a couple of signposts, there's some people who are thinking right now about their next ministry or their first ministry or their next job or their first job. And they're like, I, I don't know whether, you know, the door is open, but how do I know I walk through it? Yeah. It, and that's where you've got to learn to discern the, the, the check of the Holy Spirit. When mm. you feel like, man, this seems like a perfect opportunity on, on paper. Um, but there's just kind of a check. There's an unsettledness. And I share several different tests for discerning the will of God which probably we don't have time to deep dive on those, Um, you know, from the uh, release from uh, uh, called to test to uh, wise counsel, the peace that passes understanding test. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think we've got to make sure that the spirit of God has veto power. And this is not pie in the sky stuff. In fact, I, I title this chapter, The Door to Bithynia, because um, of this story in the book of Acts where, you know, Paul has plan A um, mm-hmm. and, and that was Bithynia. But God closed the door. And, and honestly, that doesn't even really make sense. Like, why would he? But plan B was Macedonia. And it seemed like a detour to Paul. But listen, it was a divine appointment with a woman named Lydia. And so yep. let's just be humble enough to realize that. What God did for Paul, he's probably going to do for us. I mean, you know, I had a 25-year plan for a church plant in Chicago. I, I thought that was our future. Right. But God closed that door. In fact, slammed it shut with my fingers still in the door. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, that's how how we ended up in D.C. And so, remind us just so that people can get a specific. What made you know that that was slammed? Well, it, it was the released from test, uh, which I take from the story of Peter Marshall, who pastored a church here, which is a little too lengthy to share in the podcast. Sure. But you know, you have to be called to, but you also have to be released from. So the the, the word of exhortation I would give to listeners right now is if God hasn't released you, then you better not give up on whatever it is that that you're doing. Keep on keeping on. But I think there are moments that God releases us from something. And if he does, then it's actually disobedience to continue doing what you're doing. And people may perceive it as failure. You, You know, in a sense, that church plant that, uh, that, you know, I guess you could call it a failure, but the Lord released it from us. And, and by obedience, we had to let go of it. And yep. sometimes that's, that's one of the toughest things to do. Well, and we're surface skating a little bit. There's a lot more detail in each of the chapters on this too, if you're looking for specific direction. And that's why I think it's such, it's such, a, such a good resource. Okay, let's go to the next method, number four, which is dreams. So Mark, if my dreams are any indication I'm in big trouble, they are just weird. I don't know. You know, one day you're a scrambled egg rolling down a hill. I, I don't know. That didn't actually happen. But like, they're just like, what was that about? Um, I mean, occasionally I've seen God use dreams in my life supernaturally to lead me in a place I maybe otherwise wasn't going. But how can dreams function as a way of hearing from God? Yeah. And, you know, I certainly talk, uh, I touch on the idea of, dreams at night while we're sleeping. And and in Scripture, God speaks that way with a degree of frequency. Yes, he does. Uh, and so I don't want to discredit that. I think it's very easy for us to quickly discredit someone else's experience if we haven't had it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'll be honest, I've only had um, maybe one or two dreams while I was sleeping that I believed was from the Lord. I'm like you. Most of my dreams make no sense. Yeah. Uh, but but that's really the smaller part of this chapter. The bigger part is, um, you know, your your uh, your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions. Th- that idea that God wants to, by His Spirit, um, download dreams and visions. Uh, the temple itself. It says that uh, God put that that plan in David's mind. And so it's this idea that uh, dreams are this capacity to use our right brain imagination, which, you know, we'll we'll, uh, avoid the neurology of it, which is pretty amazing in Hmm. itself. Um, But the ability to envision the future and to dream about what tomorrow could look like is is part of the image of God. Hmm. And, and, you know, we've got to steward it. And one way we steward it is, honestly, I think it starts with 2 Corinthians 10, 5, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It starts yeah. with those ideas, God ideas. That, so those uh, dreams, those ambitions, it's like that dream of planting a church, that dream of more campuses, that dream of reaching a city, that dream of, you know, one of my dreams is to help leaders in the next few decades of my life and just to... Uh, as well as leading a local church, like or dream of launching a podcast or writing a book, that that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yep, and uh, and I think that's how the Lord leads us and guides us, and 
And, you know, there are lots of examples of that uh, in Scripture. Um, And, uh, you know, I think there's a fine line between good ideas and God ideas, Carrie. Mm. And, you know, good ideas are good, but God ideas really do change the course of history. And I'd rather have one God idea than a thousand good ideas. And I think you, 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 that happens in prayer. And so, you know, praying is a form of dreaming. Dreaming is a form of praying. Hmm. And, and so I think it's important to think about it in that context. And when we pray, we get on God's wavelength. And one of the ways he speaks to us is to begin to download some of those dreams uh, that then over time become reality in our lives. Yeah, I know that that's helpful. And is this the chapter? I know in one of the chapters you talk about selfish ambition and making sure that you check your spirit to make sure that the ambition you have is not selfish. Yeah, and I and I can't remember if that's in this chapter. It might be in the desire chapter, Carrie. But similar idea. But yes, very similar. Yeah, that you got to have that check in the spirit. You got to make sure that your ambition isn't selfish or just self-directed. And and I think that's good. Okay, those are the D's. Let's move to the P's. Method number five, God speaks through people. How do you know? And this is my big question. I think a lot of us would know that one as well, that wise counsel. But how do you know which voices to listen to? Well, I, I think there are a few tests that I employ. Um, let me just say that um, I, I've occasionally had a stranger kind of get get a word that they spoke in my life that actually was legitimate. But more mm-hmm. often than not, I found that God really speaks through people that I have relationship with. And so I talk a lot about consider the source. You, you've yeah. got to make sure that you're listening uh, to the right voices. Um, and uh, and so. Um, having those people that that are trusted voices. I have a spiritual father named Dick Foth, who's been a voice in my life mm. for more than 20 years now. And I love the way he operates in this in this uh, sphere. He, he, he'll basically, you know, sometimes the Lord will impress something on him to speak to me. But here's how he does it, Carrie. He says, um, if, if 10 is a word from God, and if one is just a word from both, uh, this is a four or this right. is a six or like what I like about that is it, it kind of let's kind of lower the expectation a little bit that we're people, we're, we're imperfect mediums, but occasionally he'll have something that's a pretty strong impression. And I want to listen to that very carefully. And sometimes, you know, he says that this is just what I think. But either way, um, God uses people uh, in prophetic ways to speak into our lives. And uh, I know I wouldn't be where I am without some of those voices that God has used to say the right thing at the right time. I don't know what you think of this, but I know one of the things I've done over the years, because it's hard to know as a young leader, like, gosh, who do I listen to if, if they're just older, if they're Christian or, you know, and often you get a lot of wisdom from people who aren't Christians as well. But like one of the things I've done is started looking at people's lives and said, is this a person I want to be like? <laughs> what is their track record? Where is their trajectory? And that's not just in terms of success. That I mean, character. I mean, like, 
are they the kind of people who love their family? Are they the kind of people who love God? Are they the kind of people who have a, uh, a history of seeing God at work in their lives? And if the answer is yes, then it's kind of lean in. Does anything yeah. like that work for you? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to weight that so much more heavily yeah. than, uh, than someone that you just don't know or can't even trust yeah. uh, that doesn't have the, the track record. And, you know, again, you know, a prophetic word by definition, biblically, is for strengthening, encouraging and comforting. Hmm. And so this isn't about predicting the future. Right. This isn't, and it's certainly not about uh, uh, pegging the date that Jesus is going to return. Um, this is about just but, but there's a difference between just straight out encouragement, Carrie. Where, where, um, you know, I'm saying to you, uh, and, and I actually really mean this. You're one of the nicest people I know. Well, that's and, very uh, kind. Thank <laughs> you, Mark. And, you know, so that I feel the same way about you. You are you are the genuine <laughs> article, and hanging out with you has been amazing. It's always wonderful to see what people are like behind the scenes as well as in front, and uh, it's the real deal. Well, I feel like we just had a virtual man hug. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but that's a word of encouragement. That's just me identifying the character uh, of Carrie. But then there are moments where you get an impression uh, about someone that takes a little bit more co- courage and sometimes is actually a little risky because mm-hmm. sometimes it's speaking to someone's blind spots. And, and I talk some about that uh, in the book. And that's not easy. It's not easy to say, and it's not easy to hear. But I, I just think that for um, Christian community to really go to the level of being the body of Christ, uh, we've got to speak into each other's lives. And sometimes that's going to be something that the Lord's spoken to us for someone else. Yep. And, you know, if delivered in love, I think those can be some of the greatest things that you get. And some of my greatest growth opportunities have been people coming alongside me and going, hey, you know, did you know that when you, and sometimes you don't, sometimes you do, you're just called on it. All right. So that's people. Uh, let's talk about promptings. So say more. What What is a prompting? Yeah. And this is probably one of my favorite languages because this is where this is about the spirit led life. Mm. This is about taking your cues from the spirit of God that you'll hear a voice behind you saying to the right or to the left. Um, I just believe that, that God works in this way, Carrie, that, that, uh, there are promptings at different moments. Um, so I'm doing this interview in my office right above uh, Ebenezer's Coffee House, right. which used to be a crack house. Um, but here's the deal. This coffee house was once a whisper. I, I walked by it 15 years ago and one thought this crack house would make a great coffee house. And I felt like it was from the Lord. I felt like it was a prompting. Hmm. Well, that prompting turned into five years of prayer and five years of prayer turned into contract and turned into this coffee house and now a million customers, a million dollars given to missions, every penny a profit. But but it started out as a prompting. I could tell you story after story after story um, of just 
you know, how we got to D.C. It was flipping through Hmm. a ministry magazine. And I come across this little ad for a parachurch ministry in D.C. And I can't tell you why, but I stopped flipping the pages. And there was just this prompting to make a phone call. That phone call led to a trip. And that trip led to packing up a U-Haul and the last 21 years here in D.C. So it, it it's always about the promptings and uh, yeah, and just the, a word. Don't don't live in fear that you're going to miss it because all of us miss it. But he's the God of second chances, third chances. And and uh, he's going to find a way to get your attention. And the prompting, do you think that operates at the micro level of send this guy a text or, you know, give her a call or, yeah, you should apologize or invite them over for dinner? At that level, do you think it operates at that level? I almost think that this language falls into the category of uh, God working in strange and mysterious ways. <laughs> you know, it, it sometimes it's I call them supernatural synchronicities. When, when things line up in a way that, wow, that, that, you know, that can't be coincidence. I think that's providence. And again, you have to be careful. Let's not yeah. read too much into our circumstances. And, and I talk quite a bit about sign language and use that as an example of these languages are sign language and, and signs are open to some interpretation. Mm-hmm. And that's why all of these need to be counterbalanced against each other and then pass through the filter of Scripture. Yeah. All right. So um, the last one is pain, right? Is that right? Are we yeah. down to number seven now? Pain? Yeah. Um, and uh, that's another one that's been well chronicled. I think C.S. Lewis probably has the most recognizable quote in the last century on that. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Yeah. How do we hear God in the pain? Because not everybody does. Not everyone hears God in the pain. They hear Satan. They hear the enemy. They hear defeat. They hear atheism. They hear godlessness. They hear God has abandoned me in the pain. Yeah. Well, uh, first thing I would say is it's easy to leave your, your Bible sitting on the shelf or sitting on a bedside table and, and never pick it up. Hmm. But you can ignore it. You can ignore scripture. You can't ignore pain. Pain yeah. has a way of getting our attention that sometimes it's the only way we're going to learn some of the lessons that, that God wants to teach. And and listen, it, it really is a gift. You know what's interesting, Carrie, about this, this miracle where Jesus heals the lepers? Mm-hmm. You and I both know leprosy, the, the, the biggest problem is the inability to feel pain. Yeah. And you hurt yourself all the time because you're doing things that you don't have pain indicators. So really the, the miracle was Jesus restoring their ability to feel pain. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> That's a very unusual take on that, but it's absolutely true. <laughs> well, and so I think I, I, I talk about the gift of pain. In fact, how it saved my life, um, you know, ruptured intestines, July of 2000, I should have died. Uh, wow. But pain didn't allow me to ignore it. And so I think pain is a professor of theology. I think pain Mm. is a marriage counselor. I think pain is a life coach. Um, We've just got to learn how to interpret that language. And it's, it's not the one we want to hear. No, it's not, but it's the one that we've got to learn to discern uh, what those pain signals are saying, uh, because I, I believe that it actually is, a, a love language. 
But some people, Mark, and you know this as a pastor and just as a person, some people will interpret pain uh, and go into self-pity mode. Others will go into anger mode, right? They're just mad at God. And we've all met yep. hundreds of people who, who are in that space. How do you get someone who moves into self-pity or into anger to get to receive pain as a gift? Any thoughts on that? Wow. I mean, I, I think in some instances, Carrie, it really requires a revelation. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's you the work of God at that point. I mean, come on, you and I, um, I don't, and I don't care how good a preacher you are. I don't know if you can talk people into or preach people into really understanding. I think you can declare the truth, but yeah. I think there's got to be a moment of revelation where people actually look in the mirror, Carrie. And sometimes it's in the quietness that we talked mm-hmm. about at the very beginning mm-hmm. uh, that God will begin to reveal his love in those moments. And I think sometimes people realize that they're lashing out at God, but but he's there with open arms ready to embrace. And he's the only one who can help you get through this. And so yeah. it would be like going to the hospital and getting mad at the doctor because he made the diagnosis. No, I mean, he's making the correct diagnosis and wants to help, but sometimes you have to submit to the prescription, submit to the process, and allow God to do some of that work in your life. Well, Mark, this has been super helpful. I got one or two quick questions for you before we go, but just to recap. So this is how we hear God's voice. We hear it through Scripture, through desires, doors, dreams, people, promptings, and pain. And all that will be in the show notes, as well as the links to your brand new book, Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God. I'm going to be handing it out to a lot of people because it's such a common question. Is this, you know, I've been tempted in talking to you about this to say, you know, this is also how you determine the will of God. Is it that close to hearing the will of God? Like, are they they related at all? I, I I think they may be one in the same. Yeah, I think yeah. they are one in the same. Um, but but I feel like sometimes when we talk about the the will of God, it becomes very analytical, like we're weighing pros and cons. And it's almost <laughs> this intellectual exercise. Yeah. And that's the danger. No, this is this is more about relationship and intimacy and hearing his voice. And so I think I would just say I, I kind of invoke I kind of um like the voice of God a little bit more than the will of God because mm-hmm. it's more personal and, and it's him speaking. I think that's a really good take on it. And yet, you know, I would say for pastors, this is a good way to help people interpret the will of God for their life too. Like, you know yes. what, if you do these things, if you listen for the voice of God in these seven ways, the will of God is going to seem a little less mysterious for you yeah. as well. Yep. Okay, yep. Mark, I got to just say... <laughs> This book is fantastic on a number of levels, but one of the things as a fellow writer, I mean, there's just so many stories in it, really helpful illustrations, not just personal, but historical, scientific, rational. I mean, I think we were saying beforehand, this is the most footnotes you've ever put in a book. Um, Yeah. It's incredible. There are hundreds. Um, I got to ask you, and I know we talked about this in episode 32, but um, how do you track these stories? Like, how do you, how do you track them all? I know you read widely, so that's step one. But like, is your filing system still that massive Word doc? (laughs) (laughs) I do have the massive Word doc. 
that I can search, um, you know, by keywords and find stories. Let me just say this. My memory is very ordinary uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not a speed reader. And my organizational system is, is nothing advanced. It is right. not, uh, it's not a Dewey Decimal system. What I am good at is I recognize a story when I read one or see one or experience one. And I take that thought captive. I take the story captive. Uh, I write it down in a journal or I, um, I, I leaf over a page of a book or I put an asterisk next to it. And, uh, and then I just, the one thing I am good at is generally is remembering where I read something or where I found something. And I found, I, I, uh, I think I told you this before that yeah. I actually read the footnotes of other books because to me, they're rabbit trails, right? I like something that someone's writing. I might want to run all the way up that rabbit trail and people might want to do that with this book. Take a look at the footnotes because I I cite some sources that you might want to do more research. And so I do a lot of that. I just I feel like I'm a I'm a hunter for great stories, for great metaphors. And and Carrie, I just I love science and I love history. And so yeah, you that's do. naturally gonna kind of find its way into what I write. So no index cards, it's like a journal or that massive word doc. And if you want to solve the mystery of that, listen to episode thirty-two, because Mark goes into great detail about about that. I just hope your computer never crashes and the, the backup discs never disappear. Oh, don't get me started. Can I, can I say <laughs> one thing about that, Carrie? What? I As I was writing this book, I lost part of the manuscript. And uh, all I'm going to say is Command Z. You're going to want to remember that. Oh, yeah, Command Z. Z. I ended up like undoing like a hundred changes because what had happened is I had cut it, but I had forgot to paste this like <sighs> whole chapter and it was gone. And I... Oh. Man Z, I can't even tell you how many times, but eventually, I'll, man, the moment that that cut uh, ended up popping back up was a great moment because, you know, you can't recreate that stuff. Oh, I know. So and then if you ever Z. tried to, it's like, I don't think it was as good as the first one. Oh, yeah. yeah, man. Mark, before we let you go, any habits, rhythms and practices that are making a difference for you these days? Anything that's sort of new to your routine that you're like, wow, I'm so glad I'm doing that now? Wow, that's a great question. You know, I, I wouldn't want to answer it with some of the, the answers I gave when we talked about writing, because we talked about rhythm, yeah. writing retreats. You know, I already re- referenced. But let me give you an example. You just did 435 hours of running to prepare for a marathon, and you ran yeah. a marathon. How did you work that into your life? Yeah, well, it, it was a part time job, and yeah. I didn't know that going in. But, it, you know, it's been it's such a great metaphor for everything else, Carrie, because I, I I found an 18 week training plan and then I followed the plan. It's really not. Then you must have squeezed some other stuff out. What did you cut or did it just because you said as a priority it all worked out or how did how did that work? Yeah, I mean, it. it uh, well, I didn't have a, a I didn't have much time to waste, I guess, would be a yeah. way to say it. Um, you know, you, you had to, I would run in the morning cause I wanted it to be when I would run the actual marathon. And so, you know, may, maybe I was, uh, setting my alarm a little bit earlier to do a little bit and then, and then run. It just, um, 
I, I, you know, it's not like I stopped pastoring or stopped doing other things. I just somehow managed to find uh, all that time. And so I would listen to podcasts occasionally if I was on the bike warming up or, um, you know, you just find ways to, to multitask a little bit. Honestly, you, you know what? Let me just keep yeah. it real. I look back, I'm like, I don't even know how I did that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I had a similar thing today. I was hoping the sun sets a little early, earlier now. We're in mid-October as we're recording this. But, you know, I put 2,100 kilometers, so about 12, 1,300 miles on my bike this summer on the road. And wow. I loved it. It was so good. But you squeeze it in an hour here, an hour and a half there, two hours there, and you just do it. And now I'm in travel season again. And, you know, and I wrote a book while I was at it. And I guess yes. at the end of the day... When there's a will, there's a way, right? Yeah, and and it's Parkinson's law that uh, the amount of time uh, it takes to do something is dictated by how much time you have to do it. So if true. you have two weeks, it's going to take two weeks. If you have two hours, it's going to take two hours. And so I, I think you know leaders live in that reality that sometimes you have deadlines that you just got to, you don't have quite the time that you had, but uh, you're going to make it happen. And honestly, if I had had more spare time, I'm almost afraid I would have just some of the stuff I had to do would have just ballooned into filling that time anyway. Oh, yeah. I would have sat on the couch and ate chips. You know, that's probably what I would have done, Mark. So, yeah, I think set a goal. That's really good. Mark, people are going to want to find you and they're going to want to find the book, Whisper. Where can they do both? Yeah, markbatterson.com. They'll find me and uh, they'll find the book. And uh, of course, the book's available at uh, uh, about any bookstore yeah. and of course online. But if they want to read a sample, um, pop over to markbatterson.com and, and uh, they can read a little bit of the book before uh, deciding whether or not they want to buy it. Mark, once again, this is great. Next time, I think it'll still be a record number five, but thanks. <laughs> thanks for helping hey. us out again today. You just uh, help a lot of leaders and I really appreciate your friendship and your leadership and the contribution you make. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Carrie. Absolute joy. And uh, thanks for the way that you push the envelope with every episode. Uh, love it. Appreciate it. God bless. Thanks, man. You know, Mark's just the kind of leader you do want to hang out with a little bit more. And I've so enjoyed the time I've spent with him personally. And and I think you're getting to know him really well. And by the way, we've got links in the show notes to all of his previous episodes, including that rather famous one on his writing. And I don't know, a lot of you are probably, you know, you're writers, you're either writing talks or, or maybe you're writing a book or you write a blog. I always love talking to the people who have done really, really well in a field. And Mark is a multiple New York Times bestselling author. So if you go all the way into the show notes, just carrynewhoff.com slash episode 165, or just go to leadlikeneverbefore.com and in the search window, type in Mark Batterson, you'll see all of his episodes, including that first one, episode 32, where uh, he talks about his writing habits, which are fascinating. So, hey, we're back next week. And again, subscribers, you will automatically get this in your inbox, but we have a brand new episode coming and we have a lot of great guests coming up. Chris Durso is here next week from New York City and we're going to talk all about how to reach young adults and even uh, talk some Biebs, Justin Bieber (laughs) with Chris Durso next week. Here's an excerpt from that conversation. We all grew up in church and we all got to watch it for a really long time. So I mean, that that really works to our advantage. But Hmm. I think one of the things when I think of ministry in general, especially in New York, 
is I think about real recognizable. I mean, that's something I would always say to our team. People are attracted to honesty. People yeah. want authenticity. So the the truth is, I would never want anyone to park anything about them. I mean, if they do street, then man, be street. If they do education, please do education or whatever the inverse of any of those things are. I mean, just embrace it and run with it because I think we're all very aware that that the gospel is available to all people. So that means all people are needed. Okay, so that is coming up next week. Again, if you subscribe, you get that automatically. Also coming up, we have John Ortberg, Cheryl Batchelder, Todd Adkins is coming back. I'm going to talk to my agent, Esther Federkevich, one of the most brilliant leaders I know, and that's going to be a lot of fun. We have Jason Romano, sports fans. He's coming up. Craig Grishel, Jeff Henderson, uh, Tim Elmore, and so many more. And again, if you subscribe, that all comes to your inbox automatically and free. So we are back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, if you haven't registered for My Leadership Pipeline, please do that. Pipeline Conference, myleadershippipeline.com. Use the promo code LEAD like never before. And we're back next Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.